Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have the second part of the audio from a talk Scott did on developing a culture of generosity in the church. Now, I believe that it is, uh, it is clear in the, as we read Luke into the book of Acts that this pattern in the early church was nothing other than a renewed application of the generosity and hospitality that was established by our Lord in Galilee as he practiced care for the poor. So the early church's behavior is not a surprising thing. It is just a new thing because it's a new setting. After the resurrection, after Pentecost, the Spirit of God empowers these people and they form these churches that are characterized by generosity and hospitality. All right? So we have two points. My third point is going to be the long one. All right? What about Paul? I don't know if you know this history, but in the history of of discussion, many people think the Apostle Paul, sadly and unfortunately, and tragically dropped the kingdom vision of Jesus for economic generosity where Christians would be available to one another and liable for one another. That Paul dropped it. And I've uh, spent the last year um, punching these sorts of people who believe that in the nose, uh, tweaking them because I think that this is a very serious misreading of the Apostle Paul that he actually established communities of generosity. The churches were generous and hospitable. In fact, had a very strong vision for, for the economy of the church. All right, so again, let me say, this is not about politics, Republican, Democrat, Social Democrat, any of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how Christians treat one another and therefore spill over into the community. I want to begin with a few verses in the Apostle Paul in uh, just emphasizing what I would call the general principle of generosity in the Apostle Paul's teaching. Some of these words are a little bit uh, uh, bland, not quite as specific as you might like, but they were talking about economic generosity. Galatians 6, verses 9 to 10 reads this, Let us not become weary in doing good. This expression, doing good, is characteristic in Greek for public benevolence, including financial relief and especially care for the poor. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, this is one of my favorite verses in Paul, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So we are prejudiced in our financial generosity toward Christians. That's what Paul says. Not at the expense of, not, of, of lack of care for the poor in our society, but we begin in the church and it spreads into the community. There are many people today in the church who want to give money in the public sector, but don't give a rip or a zip about their local church and people who are struggling financially in their local church. So I, I want to say we begin with people in our church. Local, local church was how Paul operated. 
in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, my pages are sticking together here. Chapter 5, verses 14 to 15, we read this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and the weak often is financially or economically weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good. And that language, what is good, is about economic availability to one another in the church for each other and for everyone else. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 is our next passage. Romans 12, verse 13. Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And I know in the, in the independent churches I know that you people are aware of needs in Africa and in other parts of the world because of your missionary networks throughout the world. And I applaud your churches for their concern today for evangelism. Many people are giving up on evangelism. And I applaud your concern for building churches in foreign country and sending off missionaries. But because of that, you have a network that you become aware of needs of people in the world. And that's what Paul's talking about, that we share with the Lord's people who are in need. In, Romans, in uh, Ephesians 4.28, we hear one of the strongest uh, verses that the Apostle Paul says about economic sharing with one another. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. This is sort of a gypsy mentality in the Roman Empire where people who were poor learned to become thieves. And uh, Paul says, you've become a Christian. You can't live like that anymore. But you must work doing something useful with your own hands. Paul believed in manual labor. Why? This is a very interesting statement. You work with your own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. Interesting. Work so that you can have opportunity to care for those who are in need. Finally, Titus 3.14, as I conclude this section on the general principles of Paul concerned with hospitality and generosity. Titus chapter 3, verse 14 says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. There again, goodness is benevolence in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. So Paul is concerned that his churches develop a capacity to work in order to help others. I, I, this is a sensitive topic to me because of where I teach. I teach at Northern Seminary, and a lot of my students are from the city of Chicago, and my students from the city of Chicago have stories to tell about food deserts. And that is areas of Chicago that are so dangerous that grocery stores will not be built because of theft and fear of theft. And so sometimes we get to talking about vocations and the jobs. And I, and I teach a lot of young people. I taught college students for 17 years. And they always wanted to do something significant. Well, I've read the Bible, you know. The Bible's attitude toward work is not uh, choose a nice vocation 
where you will feel like your gifts are fully exploited. That's a wonderful idea, but it's the idea of the privilege. 95% of the people in this world work to put food on the table. And we need to realize in the church that we are privileged people, that we get to choose vocations. So working with our hands, you know, we think it's cool, I think it's cool, that I have a garden, and we have tomatoes, six different kinds, you know, it's cool. And we have chard and kale, because we do not eat iceberg lettuce in our home. <laughs> we are far too sophisticated for that sort of thing. We eat superfoods and Brussels sprouts, you know, these sorts of things. And we compost our table scraps. And we use that, and it becomes dirt, and we use it, and we feel so good about leaving less footprint on the world. But this is the language, game, and the world and lifestyle of the privileged, that you and I are privileged people, and we work, and we make lots of money compared to lots of people in the world. And for that reason alone, we should develop an attitude of generosity and hospitality. That's what Paul wanted his churches to do. Work so that you can be generous. Not so you'll feel good about your generosity, but because you want to help those who are in the kingdom of God so that they can become the people God wants them to be. Now, Paul spent, this is a bit of a debate, and I'll just take a position, and if you disagree with me, I'll agree with you too. I think from Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 on, which I think is the earliest of Paul's letters, somewhere between 46 and 48 A.D., uh, Paul was urged to remember the poor. And he said, I was eager to do this very thing. Interesting, he uses an aorist tense there, which is a little bit surprising. Nonetheless, uh, it, I would say that from that time on, Paul developed a mentality of being sensitive toward the poor saints of Jerusalem. As he developed his Gentile mission, he wanted to demonstrate to the Jerusalem Christians that we were one body in Christ and not two denominations, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And so he worked maybe as much as two to three decades of raising money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. So Paul was a constant fundraiser. And I want to talk about this, what is called the collection for the saints. It's possible that it was only later in his ministry that he developed this as a full-time passion. But clearly, Paul is a bit obsessed with raising money for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And 2 Corinthians 8-9 is all about this topic. So I want to look a little bit about the collection and develop what I think are four principles that Paul sees for generosity. And the principles are these, that I think that we can develop these into stewardship principles in our churches. But I want to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, where the Apostle Paul says this. You know, he's answering questions that have come from, Phoebe's, uh, from the people in, in, at Corinth, and Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth is anything but happy typical church life, I would say. You know, it's great. It's great to go to church, but, I, but I'm like John Ames, you know, in the Gilead novel by Marilyn Robinson. He liked to go to church, 
when no one was there. That was when he was happiest about church life. That he meant the building. Now he says, about the collection for the Lord's people, the saints of Jerusalem, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. You know, Paul's plans of travel were totally spirit-led. Just read 1 Corinthians 16. I'll come, maybe, maybe I won't, then I'll go here, and maybe I won't go there, and maybe I'll come back. And it would have irritated the Corinthians, but Paul did not know how the Lord was going to direct his life. But at any rate, he, he develops this very principle in local churches for people on Sunday, if you want to call it Sunday, Sunday morning when they came for the 11 o'clock service, just after the hymn, they were going to have a collection. But Paul says he wants them to hold money back so that they can give it to him through messengers that they approve, and they're going to send it to Jerusalem. Now, I think Paul did this with about a dozen churches that he established. And then he delivered this, um, these goods to Jerusalem on his last trip. So four principles that Paul develops as he, as a fundraiser, as he uh, gets people to give money for the poor saints in Jerusalem, as he tries to develop a culture of generosity and hospitality and donations for saints elsewhere in the world, Paul developed, I think, four principles. The first one is compassion. In Galatians chapter 2, 9 through 10, the principle is this, that they exhorted Paul, we're going to approve your gospel. You go to the Gentiles, Peter will go to the Jews. Never mind that they didn't seem to follow the pattern that was established there, because Peter's letter seems to be addressed to Gentile Christians, and Paul seems to go to a synagogue everywhere he goes uh, to begin his ministry. But he says, we want you to remember the poor. And the emphasis here is because of need. Folks, there are a lot of people in need in the church. There are a lot of people in need throughout the world who are Christians. And there are Christians who have more than enough to help meet those needs. We need to develop a principle of compassion by seeing the needs of other people in this world. All right? Second, and this is a huge principle for the Apostle Paul, and it is the principle of unity. Unity. I love this line in Romans 15, verse 27. He's talking about Paul uh, appeals to the Romans, and uh, he says that the Macedonians, northern Greece, and the Achaeans, the Peloponnesus, that these people were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. And he says this, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. That's an interesting statement. They are obliged. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings of redemption in Christ through the Old Testament uh, covenant that has come to completion in Jesus, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings that there is a material reciprocation for spiritual benefit 
in the church. And Paul says that the Gentiles owe it to the Jews. And now Paul sees this as the reason, as a demonstration of the unity of the body of Christ. I have friends who are pastors in churches who have formed special relationship with churches in other parts of the world that are much less fortunate and they are poor. And the bond that forms through mutual generosity is one where all that the poor church can offer is spiritual blessing and the rich church can offer material benefit and they form special bonds. And over time they develop relationships. Our church has a powerful relationship with a community in Kilgali, Rwanda. And we, we have a fundraiser every fall that raises sometimes twenty-five dollars to $30,000 for the school there and for churches there. And we feel like we know Rwanda. I've never been there. But because of this relationship of unity. A third principle that the Apostle Paul develops is worship. Notice in 1 Corinthians 16, 3, that the Apostle Paul asked people to do this on the first day of the week when they gathered for worship. That charity, that generosity, and hospitality are to be exhibited when the church gathers together. And these were funds that would be given to people that would not be present at that church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9 anchors, anchors generosity in Christology. For you know the grace, this is the Greek word for gift as well, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. This is a very clever move on Paul's part. By describing Christ's situation with the Father, you know, you see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, is that Christ, the big U pattern, he descends from the Father, equality with God. Paul calls this here richness, and his connection with humans is poverty, and through his poverty, we become rich, and that's a double entendre, because it means we receive the richness of the blessings of redemption, but now we have to learn to act like Christ, and through our richness, we uh, become poor by helping other people. And Paul doesn't want people to become materially poor, but he wants them to become generous. So he plays this rhetorical game here with the Corinthians to say, if Christ gave up his riches for our sake, then we also must be generous with our riches for the sake of the poor. But there's nothing like Romans chapter 15 to see that uh, generosity is worship. And here I can poke at the uh, instinct that we have that worship is when we gather on Sunday morning in the churches of Christ without instruments, they're going to learn someday that they're fine. They're not going to get hurt by playing a guitar. And the Christian churches, they gather together and they sing, and people stand up now, you know. They didn't used to do this. They used to be behaved. <laughs> and now they raise their hands and they close their eyes, and we call this worship. And sometimes we do it way too long. I think two songs is plenty. 
Some of them like to go three or four, and that's going a long time, you know. I want time for the sermon. But we call this now worship, and that's fine, except that now we've equated the word worship with ecstatic religious experience while we're singing, right? And it's not very often that we say that giving to the church is an act of worship. But for Paul, listen to these words in Romans chapter 15, verses 15 to 16. Yet I have written you quite boldly uh, to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of King Jesus to the Gentiles. Listen to this language. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You can't do more Leviticus in one verse than that. This is describing the offering of the Gentiles, which is a double entendre. The Gentiles themselves, who've now become believers, offering themselves to the, to the Jews, uh, the Jewish Christians, and their gift of money that is going with Paul to Jerusalem as an offering of the Gentiles. And he sees it as worship. In the New Testament, giving money, in the Old Testament, giving money as giving an animal to the temple was an act of worship. One of our most profound moments of worship in our life is to turn our money toward God for the good of the gospel in the world. This is worship, and Paul thinks that the collection for the saints is an act of worship. Three principles so far, compassion, unity, and worship. And I've saved the best and the craziest and the most radical to the last because I'm leaving town and I want to get out before I get in trouble. Paul says something in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 to 15, that should haunt the conscience of every Christian in this room with any kind of financial wherewithal. What he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15 is the very paradigm of what he thinks generosity is about. It is the purpose of generosity. And I want to read these verses to you. Our desire, and he's, this is all about the collection for the saints, our desire is not that others might be relieved, Jerusalem saints, while you are hard-pressed. Our desire is that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, and he quotes from the manna story in Exodus, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The operative word here is the word equality, and we wish that wasn't the word. Because this is, this is putting us in a corner like Philemon. What are we going to do? 
The word equality, you know, it's not very difficult to know what equality means. The Greek word is isotes, and when Jesus was equal with God, he was isos with God. Isotes means balanced, a balancing of resources and funds so that all will have what they need. This would mean that people who have lots would be, in that sense, more generous than those who don't have lots. Paul is calling the church, the churches that he's establishing, of having a financial liability for the poor in the churches, both at home in the local church and abroad. And he's calling them to become financially available to other people. Paul believes that it is the pastor's responsibility as he embodies himself, and it is the leader's responsibility, and it is the church culture's responsibility to develop a culture of generosity, availability, and liability. I do not know what that means for you, but the Spirit of God does know. And I would encourage you to listen to the Spirit of God to know how you might become generous, where you might become a person who leads a new vanguard movement in your church to demonstrate economic availability and liability for other Christians in this world so that there might be equality. Paul believed in his missionary work that this was a demonstration of the gospel in the world that it was unlike anything the Roman Empire had ever seen. He believed that this would demonstrate the unity of the church, and it would also demonstrate compassion, just as Jesus was compassionate for us in giving up all he had for our benefit, so we learn to give up what we have for the benefit of other people. So I'm, I'm asking the Spirit of God to speak to you today in your own way, to, to ask God to speak in a way that speaks to you as a person who can be generous and hospitable and to create a culture in your community of hospitality and generosity. I'll return to the fact I would encourage you to support your local church. I would encourage you to support Christian colleges that train people for the work of the gospel. And I would encourage you to support people who are in need that you can help. You don't have to advertise it. You just have to demonstrate the equality of the gospel because Jesus is one who gave up what he had for our benefit, and we owe that to him as a recompense response. Let me pray for us, all right? Father, we realize these words are challenging to us because they speak to our generosity and they speak to our coldness of heart. They speak to our compassion, and they speak to our constraints about generosity. We ask that your Spirit would invade us and speak to us and reveal to us how we might become people who reflect the goodness of the gospel in our world today. We pray in Jesus' name.